the evil in Derry is lurking. So they have no choice but to finish what was started 27 years earlier. No one who dies here ever really dies. Tell me, how is it being back in Derry? Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clay. And I'm Troy Harkin. And this is our Halloween special SK mm-hmm. Tours episode. Mm-hmm. Spooky stuff, kids. Uh, Troy, you went on the SK Tours last year, and as we know, SK, of course, is short for Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Um, spit act- take. Spit take. Spit take. Spit, the spit takeular. No, anyways, so, but of course, I mean Stephen King. Uh, and we have as oh. our guest tonight, Jamie Tinker and Jennifer Miller, who run the SK Tours in Bangor, Maine. That's right. And it was uh, an incredible time. Uh, it was this year. Uh, no, sorry. It was a year ago at Halloween time. And we had a great time. Um, and I do want to say, like, if you get the chance to do this thing, you got to do it, people. Um, but uh, we figured this would make a fitting Halloween special to talk with Jamie and Jennifer and uh, share what SK Tours is all about. Hey, Dave, do you want to do a quick uh, Halloween-based either-or? Absolutely. Very happy to. Okay, let's see. So this is for you. What is scarier, a cemetery or an abandoned old house on the edge of town? I would go with the cemetery on that one. Okay, then what's scarier, a cemetery or a seminary? I would still go with the uh, the uh, cemetery. Okay, I, I I have to tell you that when I was a kid, I, for a while, was so afraid of the whole concept of death that I overcompensated. I went the other way. And that whenever we passed a cemetery, like with my parents and I was like little, I would say, that's a beautiful cemetery. And of course that would creep my parents out. I didn't realize <laughs> just how creepy that was. Anyway, either, uh, or what's scarier, Chucky or Chucky e. cheese. I think I'd go with Chucky e. cheese on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Uh, trapped by a rabid dog or being trapped by a dodgy rabbit? I would go with the dodgy rabbit. Dodgy rabbit, yes, because I think of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes, I do. Yep. And the Holy Hand Grenade. We don't always carry one with us. That's the danger. Yeah. What's scarier? Scary clowns or scary ventriloquist dummies? I've, I'm pretty scared of ventriloquist dummies. Yeah, you know what? I am also, that's where my vote goes to, you know, um, you know, there are certain ones like Pennywise, yes, but in general, ventriloquist dummies, please keep them away. Mm. Um, what is scarier, the evil dead or the mundane dead? And that's like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with what we do in the shadows, but there's a character, Colin Robinson, who uh, is a like an energy vampire type of guy. Yes. Yeah, he, yeah. So that's what I'm thinking about with the mon- mundane dead. Evil Dead or Mundane Dead? I would go with Evil Dead. That's that's yeah. a show, actually, we will have to do at some point, because uh, Alexa and I both got into what we do in the shadows, and she absolutely loved the show. We got through to season two, episode six or so, and she loved uh, Colin Robinson's character as the energy vampire. She thought he was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and I will not spoil where they've gone with that character, but it's in really great places. Um, and hey, Halloween fun fact. As a child, I used to get so wound up pre-Halloween that I would throw up. Oh, that's a beautiful. So that almost brings a tear to my eye. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> well, one thing I think you were talking about is Halloween moments and dressing up and doing things. So I found on my Facebook page a um, image of me at a reading back in October of 2019 
that Brenda Clues organized. And I threw this thing together at one of these thrift stores from all sorts of different things. So I grabbed this baby mask with almost cobwebs on its face, a lab coat, and a butcher's kind of um, smock um, thing. Yeah, like a smock thing with all these things for cutting up meat with with fake blood stains. Yeah, it's very the whole Texas thing chainsaw. together. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, um, yeah. So I thought you were impressed with this one because I showed you the image. Oh, it, it is creepy AF, as as the kids say. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it's disturbing. Yes, it's like a uh, crossbreed of horror. Heinz 57 of horror. I like it. Um, We are very excited to uh, get on with our interview with Jamie and Jennifer of SK Chores, and we really hope you enjoy this. Bangor is the place Stephen King has called home for most of his life, but it also serves as the alias of his dark fictional town, Derry, Maine. Derry has been a setting or a place mentioned in over 25 of King's books, perhaps most notably in the 1986 novel It, which has twice been adapted into successful TV and film productions and is currently being developed as an HBO series, Welcome to Derry. Along with places like Sleepy Hollow, New York and Salem, Massachusetts, Bangor is now considered one of the most sought out creepy locales in North America, partly because of SK Tours of Maine, which takes guests on guided tours of the sites that are cornerstones of Stephen King's life and fiction. Our guests today, Jamie Tinker and Jennifer Millar, owners and operators of SK Tours of Maine. Welcome, guys. Hi there. Hi. How's everything going? So this was a day off for for you, is that right? A day without a tour? I had a tour. Oh, you had a tour. Um, actually, um, I made an exception for today because the standpipe, the Thomas Hill standpipe or the dairy standpipe happened to be open today for visitors. It was an open house. And I had, uh, let me get there quickly because it's in French. <laughs> uh, the woman who runs the French Facebook page, where was I? I had it and it's gone now. No problem. And uh, she was coming to town to take the public tour. And I said, you know what? Take a tour with me. Take a private tour with me. And when we're done, I want to get you up inside the standpipe. This only happens four times a year. Oh. And she said, um, okay. So she and I spent the afternoon uh, doing Terry, uh, dairy. And then when we wrapped it up, we came back and I was able to bring her up inside the um, standpipe. And she got to take some pictures. And it was just really a lot of fun. Lucky woman. And now I don't know if I should jump to this right away. But, Here we are. But one I, of uh huh. No, I was just gonna say I finally found it. Stephen King, France. All right, I'm gonna mess this up. Uh L'actualité de Stephen King. Um and she came from France to take this tour and uh it was a, you know a life's lifetime trip for her. And I said, let's and I think she wanted to uh, originally she had a tour booked for yesterday, the tenth. And I said, if you can wait and hang out with me on the 11th, we'll do the standpipe too. And we just got to have a whole lot of fun this afternoon. Oh, that is great. Now, for folks uh, who don't know, the standpipe is really central uh, location in it. Um, it's it's iconic. And when you see it for the first time, it's, it's, it's jaw-dropping. But what really got me, Jamie, was that you have always lived almost as close to it as you could get, right? Um, oh, yeah, the, it, the house so, right underneath it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that kind of freaks me <laughs> out. I'm actually getting chills thinking of it now. I don't know how you do that. And especially, well, I'll, I should let you tell that story a little bit about how, you, how uh, even though you've known the standpipe, when you first read about it, in it, yeah. what, that, that, what that was like. Well, it, it was way past my bedtime. That's when I was reading the book. That's when I read all my King stuff. It was way past my bedtime. And mm-hmm. I'm reading the book, it, and I'm reading about Stanley on the bench. And he's sitting on the bench in what Steve calls Memorial Park, which is Summit Park right here where the standpipe is, right next to my house. And he sees the standpipe doors open. Now, that door was locked 50 years. 
So it was supposed to be closed in the 50s, but it's open and he, he hears carnival music and he comes closer and he smells popcorn and he goes inside and the two dead boys that drown in the tank start slowly and creepily coming down for him. And my mother calls up, Jamie, it's time for bed. <laughs> it scared the wits out of me. <laughs> I cannot imagine what it's like living in that town once you know the books, especially when you're younger. Well, um, well, Jamie grew up in the shadow of the standpipe, and he and I now live across the street from the standpipe. Yeah, isn't it, from what I remember, your dad's place is on the one side and your place is on the other side, isn't it? Yep. Yep. That's crazy. I love that. Um, well, let's let's go back then. Let's uh, let's talk about the background of how your father started. What is SK Stores Tours, Jamie? How did that come about? Well, my dad had a, a bookstore for almost twenty years called Bet's Bookstore uh, in Bangor, and he sold it. It was just there was just nothing left to buy and sell. He kind of burned out from the selling of the books and. Uh, it was getting really hard uh, to keep inventory and also to compete with all the big box booksellers and everything. So he sold bets, and he he thought he was out of the king business. So he gave a version of the the script that he'd created over the years to the city, and the city uh, tried to create a tour. They called it the Tommy Knocker Tour, and they did it like twice a month. And uh, so they're oh. on fire. Like we do this three to four times a day. They were doing it twice a month. So <laughs> wild. And then they would get a big old coach line bus, like a 55 passenger bus. They'd get a tour guide who was not a King fan, who was just trying to read a script and drive in a circle. And uh, they were getting chewed up and spit out like every day by rabid fans. So finally, they called my father and said, listen, you know, we, we like the script, but it's we're getting killed out here. Will you come help us? And so my dad thought, well, maybe I should go help him out. And it was my mother who said, no, start a tour business. And he started SK Tours 13 years ago uh, because it was, an, it was obvious that people wanted a tour. And it was obvious that my father should give it. And... Was it during the pandemic that your dad decided he was going to step down? Yeah, we uh we lost a year's worth of book bookings in two weeks. The first the first couple uh, March twelfth to about twenty fifth, uh, maybe even to April first, we lost every booking. We lost we lost everything, and and then uh, it was months before we could give a tour. And and Dad just realized that at his age, it was going to be okay if he he took a step back and we took over. And Jennifer, how did you uh, first become involved with all of this? I met Jamie and um, we became fast friends. And uh, how, how would you describe it? He coached me through a marathon and we were friendly. And um, he kept talking about the family business. And this was before COVID. This was a couple of years before COVID. And he kept talking about the family business and, I kept sharing my ideas about it, and I don't think he ever understood that I had a tourism background and that I worked for a tour bus company in New York City um, for a couple of years. And as soon as he found that out, suddenly I was very attractive. <laughs> what would you say? Uh, and then his dad retired and wanted to sell the business, and Jamie said, you know, what do you think? Do you think you can help? Because I understand reservation systems and I understand tourism and I understood bus tours. And and I said, no, I want you to do this by yourself for a year um, before I quit the job that I love uh, to join you on this. And so I made him work by himself for a whole year. And at wow. the end of the year, he said, yes, please, I really do still need you. And I quit a job I loved and gave up everything. and. Jumped in with both feet. And, well, you, uh, it's been awesome. You were our, I guess, uh, first contact with with the tours as, as I was putting out feelers about when we were going to be able to do this and whatnot. And uh, it was great. Like I was, I kept running in to tell my wife, Christy, it's like, oh my God, they can do this. They can accommodate this with us. You know, we can get a private tour. They're going to do it on a day that they don't usually do. And we can bring our dog Evie and 
you know, Evie, it was just, I remember it, Evie. Yep. That's it, good. It was, it was just perfect. So let me go back a, a little bit to, uh, to Bet's books because that also sounded fascinating for quite a while there. Your dad was just selling Stephen King books. Is that right? Uh, in the, probably the second half, he became a Stephen King kind of destination and only sold collectibles. But when he bought Bet's bookstore in 1991, it was a plain old bookstore. New used books. That was it. And that's what he did for the first years, uh, you know, eight years, maybe nine years. He just sold books and books and books and books and whatever. And, but it became obvious over some time that people were walking in the door. They were having King questions. They wanted King books. And my dad realized that there's no King specific bookstore in Bangor, Maine at the time. And uh, honestly, he thought that was kind of rude. I mean, Steve's done so much for our city and no one is showcasing his stuff in this city. So my father decided to create a little corner of King stuff in, in the back. And that was the beginning of, of everything for him. Yeah. And now, is it true that your dad's first sort of, I guess anybody in really their first exposure to King could have been that first book launch? Hmm. That, that he attended? Well, the, um, Steve's first book signing ever was at the University of Maine ah. bookstore, April 16th, 1974. Only, according to Steve, only three people showed up to it. And a kid with his dad looking for comic books. Yes. <laughs> but the, but the next night, April 17th, 1974, he did his next signing at Bet's bookstore. And my father and my mother were there. My mother dragged my father down there. Uh, to hear Steve read and all they knew was there was going to be a new writer from Bangor, uh, doing a, a signing and a reading. So they went down and, and they met Steve at that signing where that my father got Carrie signed. Wow. And so I guess that, that one is, uh, well preserved somewhere either in your house or his house. Oh, no, no, they, no. they <laughs> fell on, they fell on hard times before my father bought the bookstore in 91. Uh, they, they'd had a, a rough go of it and it, it ended up getting sold at some point. Okay. It would be so fun to get that back. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to find that then? Well, yeah. I wonder if it was inscribed to them personally, if it said Stu and Penny. It's hard to tell nowadays. We should ask your parents and see if we can find it. Okay. That's an adventure. That's a documentary on its, in itself. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering when we, uh, did the tour, we were lucky enough to get one of your private tours. Um, and, um, Jennifer, you, you made sure that Jamie handled it for us. Um, but, uh, how does it sort of break down? Do, are there more people wanting private tours compared to group tours or, or what? It, it, you know, when my father started, he didn't really offer private tours as a, as a tour offering. He just gave tours. Um, but once COVID happened, people started to really want the private tours and that's where kind of the private tour idea came from and uh and people wanted the private tour more during covid than they seem to now it, it was a huge uptake uh in private tours uh and we ended up having to buy two more private tour vehicles because of it yep well the private tours are great too because you have that direct ability to have a q a with you yeah. as as you're driving and i mean that's I was almost torn. Like I almost, I think wasn't absorbing everything visually because I was so interested in what you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Like you, you uh, really have a lot for everybody out there and uh, it's not often, I would say you and Bev Vincent, like there aren't many people that I've been around that are, know their King that I don't know at least as much of. And uh, man, yeah, you, you're all over it. <laughs> and then to be, and then to be in, his hometown, it's your hometown. It's just, it's mental. People, you have to do this if you ever get the chance. Get out, out there for SK tours. So I, I need to know, you must get some, uh, you know, overly zealous King fans, uh, some nutty cockadoody number one fan types on the tour. Do you have any Annie Wilkes type stories to tell us? We've had people show up dressed up as Annie Wilkes and not for the <clears throat> Halloween tour, just regular. We've had people show up dressed in full yep. Pennywise yep. costumes, full Pennywise, not because it's Halloween. It's Thursday. 
and <laughs> they showed up in full old Pennywise, new Pennywise. Uh, we have had some some people who have uh, a strong desire to meet Steve, and and they hope the tour is a way to help them do that. Uh, unfortunately, it, it isn't. But yeah, we got some people who are pretty aggressive. One time, uh, we were on the tour, and I had a I had a group of uh, people with a lot of energy, a lot of energy. And uh, I saw Steve coming. <laughs> Steve was walking down the road right by his house. And I'm like, hey, everybody, I'm just going to. And I went click and I locked the vehicle to keep everyone in the vehicle. <laughs> Good move. So Steve could just walk by, wave at us and go, get into his house. Uh, it's rare that I found, but it was one time when I thought, man, I got to. I got to keep these people in the vehicle for a minute. And I just locked the door, locked all of us in the vehicle. So Steve could get into the house. Yeah. I think I've heard a story too, about uh, a group being out in front of the house and sort of Steve just like walking by and, but saying mm-hmm. hi to you, like in a sort yeah. of, a, you know, uh, there was a, the, the whole group, it was a, like, there was like 12 people on that tour that day. And 11 of them were looking at the guest house because Steve's guest house is beautiful. And in the front gate, the, the, the boy of the tour, a little, you know, 10-year-old, he was playing with his camera. And I saw Steve coming. It was, it was, it was kind of COVID era and he had a bandana on. So you couldn't see his face, but you can't miss him. So I, I distracted the kid. I'm like, Hey, kid, come here. Show me your camera. Steve walks right behind him, waves at me. I kept my mouth shut. I was going to be like, Hi, Steve. I, I kept my mouth shut. And he walked right past me, right past behind the kid, and right behind the entire group. <laughs> and it was on house. That is awesome. Well, speaking of 47 West Broadway, which is uh, King's Bangor home, um, can you tell us a little bit about Halloween's in Bangor, particularly that location? I grew up about two miles away. I never went to Stephen King's house for Halloween because that's not where the good candy was. Um, I lived just down the street from an apartment complex and I was not dumb. And so I could go to this, you know, three or 400, you know, apartment complex and I could rake in the candy by the pillowcase full. So Steve's was not the place to go when I was growing up. I went, I went once and, uh, it was too many, too many adults and not enough kids. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, you, you wait in line like 45 minutes along the fence. The kids don't care why they're there. They want candy. Right. It's the parents who want to see Steve. Yeah. More right. and more parents were showing up and less and less kids. Yeah. And I could get full-size Snicker bars at the apartment complex. You guys yeah. were getting little. Yeah. No, you got a piece of penny candy yeah. at Steve's house. Mm-hmm. But you'd wait in line for like 45 minutes to finally be going through the front gate and to the front door. And that was a line, too. And Tabby's up there, like, at the front door, like, candy, candy, candy. Joe, bring more candy, candy, candy. Uh, But the parents are there to see Steve. He's nowhere to be seen. Uh, What he would do back then, under the the porch that's there now, uh, when you're looking at the house to the right, there's a window in the basement. And Steve would sit in the basement. And the light would be on, so you'd be able to see him in there. And just as you walk through the gate to the right, there's a statue of the Crypt Keeper sitting on the throne. Oh, sweet. And Steve, Steve would talk to the kids through a two-way radio in the Crypt Keeper. So I had like a <laughs> five-minute conversation with Stephen King at, at, that, at that thing, waiting in line. I guarantee you I said something inappropriate. Uh, but it was, <laughs> it was a way for the parents to know where Steve was, know he's not available. And he would interact with the kids as as we came in. But I only went one day. And yeah, you got a one pound, one round piece of penny candy. That's all you got. I think my well, mom, they my were serving hundreds of kids. Yeah, and then some <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, but that was back when it was just us local kids. I'm talking maybe 1983. I went there maybe, but you know, by the late uh, mid to late 80s, schools would bus kids in in costumes, and it would be a school field trip. And he, Steve, even, uh, I think it was on Letterman, he said, I hate Halloween. It's not supposed to be like this. And they would have to block off the streets. The police yeah. would have to block off the streets because so many people were there that uh, it was it just wasn't safe anymore. And finally, yeah. Steve said, I'm out, I'm done. And uh, they don't do trick-or-treaters at the house. They don't do Halloween. They're not there. The thing is locked and the lights, lights are off. 
Yeah. Now, for those who don't know, who haven't seen, could you just sort of, uh, I figure you probably can, you're better with the details than I would be. Can you give us a, little, a bit of a general description of how the, the property looks? Yeah. All right. <laughs> it is a gorgeous Italianate. Everyone calls it Victorian. It's actually Italianate. Uh, sort of blood red, cream trimmed uh, building. Now, I've tried to research it and there's a whole bunch of different dates out there and I can only assume it's about bad record keeping, but uh, construction on the house started in around 1854, 1858. I've seen both of those dates by a man named uh, William Arnold, who was a livery owner. And it's actually the Arnold house, even though we call it the King house. Um, And um, it sits on about two acres. It's sprawling. It goes for, feels like 10 miles into the, into Fairmount Park uh, just behind it is the Mansfield Stadium and Beth Panko Municipal Aquatic Center. Um, the front has this gorgeous on the left, if you're facing it, rounded sort of corner with a turret that came in about 1890. And the front porch, as we recognize it today, that everyone has seen online, came in about 1912. And the fence um, with the gargoyles and the spiders and the spider webs um that was i don't know when that came uh that was um, holy cow i don't know that what was happened. that was probably 82 81 82 terry Steele made that in the very early designed 80s. and built by name by a fellow named of course terry Steele. <laughs> um gorgeous and the two um they're gargoyles on the front fence. Everyone thinks they're bats. They're not. They're gargoyles. The other vertical posts along the length of the fence used to have bats on them, but they weren't apparently secured the same way, and uh, someone was able to uh, take off with them. Oh, yes, wow. Were, well, you what are you going to do with <laughs> Stephen King's bats, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So they have them back, but they're in storage. And uh, they're not on display any longer, but the bats are back. What else do we have? We have the three-headed dragon on the far right. Um, and we have at the other far left a, um, a giant five-foot-tall sort of copper sculpture of a frog mm-hmm. that appears to be leaping away from the property out into the street. And that was a gift to Stephen when he completed the book Duma Key. Of course, there's teethy frogs in it. But it's absolutely gorgeous. And if you spy down the back of the building, you'll see there's um, one very long building that has uh, solar panels on the top. And that is over his indoor pool, as one does. Right. And then, of course, we have the gorgeous sculpture, uh, the ash tree that sits um, just to the left of the building. Um, That was a, a chainsaw artist. Josh Landry sculpted this gorgeous it's beautiful out of an old ash tree. It's about 15 feet tall and it's got this literary nature theme. And he did that in uh, about a month back in March, 2020. Okay. I assumed it was fairly new because I mean, I had never actually seen any pictures of it um, or reference to it uh, before I got there. And I was kind of blown away by it. And, you know, it seems like a little bit of a, uh, like a mosaic, you, you know, you can see little pieces of kingdom in there. Um, wow, Jennifer, that was awesome. Thank you for that. Well, I, I need to do a deeper dive. I really, really do. Every winter I, I read up a little bit and then all summer long I forget about it. And then in the winter I'll try to do a bit of a more of a deep dive. I just, it's a gorgeous house. And just because Steve owns it doesn't mean it, it doesn't deserve its own story. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's funny with the release of Holly, um, when I picked up the book, the front cover of it, the first thing I thought was, Oh, this looks like something from West Broadway, like the, the house yep. that's on yeah. it. Yep. Um, so guys, again, this is our Halloween episode. So I was wondering what's the scariest, most Stephen King like thing that the two of you have ever experienced in Bangor. I used to own a house on Ohio street, 440 Ohio street. And as soon as I'm a millionaire, I'm going to buy it back. Um, it's my dream house. And um, I, great big, huge, gigantic old farmhouse construction on it started in the early 1800s. And uh, I don't believe in ghosts and things. 
Um, but one day I was in the house by myself and the kids were gone and the spouse was gone and I was alone. And yet I heard children running and giggling in up uh, along the uh, hallway stairs just above me as I was in the kitchen making something wholesome like cookies, I think. And I know it happened, but the further away I get from the event, the more I wonder if I didn't daydream it or something. Mm. That's the scariest thing I've ever, but it wasn't even scary. It was more like, well, that's a little bit weird because no one's home right now. And then it was over as soon as it happened. Any scary yeah, it's, it's almost like you experienced a thinny or something. Yeah. Right. All my stories of me just spooking myself. When his mother shows up unannounced, that's very scary. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> no, I, I'm a huge scary cat. I am, I'm spooked by everything. And the thing about living in dairy is the things Steve describes, describe, he describes things so well that I know every spot. I know every area. We, we know every nook and cranny of this city. When Steve talks about certain things, uh, I picture him and I believe him. And then, and and then when I'm there in the dark, I just I I just scare the wits out of myself. I'm I'm a huge scaredy cat, and uh, I have run home in the dark more times than I know than I, I probably should admit. Uh, you know, or, or the bridge across the river across the Kanduski that used to be the kissing bridge. The, yeah. The the we used to be the Morse covered bridge. Now there's a little path there. Uh. That's that's used to be deserted and creepy. It's not deserted anymore, but it's still creepy. But really, I, I don't have any big, you know, Halloweeny things. I just have that I'm a big weenie. I feel more hopeful that I will run into the things that I read about. Because then you could talk about it. It's real. It's happened. I'm more hopeful than oh, I am. That's afraid. good. No, I'm, that's... I'm healthily afraid. <laughs> <laughs> now, the first time that... I was in Bangor would have been around so early nineties. And I don't like now behind the, um, Paul Bunyan statue, there is a building that's mm -hmm. apparently new. I don't recall what was behind it before, but I know it was a little bit more scenic yeah. in, in the early nineties. Uh, the, the, the street was not as wide. Uh, the auditorium that you see now was the old one was behind where the new one is. And the main visitor bureau was there. Yep. So there's a little bit more of a park, a little bit closer to what you see in chapter one of the movie. It is closer to that. Okay. Yes, uh, Jennifer. <laughs> no, on my private tour, I, I do the private tours because I don't like driving the big buses. So I get to spend with my folks a lot of time at Paul Bunyan. And uh, more than any other location, no, not more than the storm drain. Sturm Grain first, Paul Bunyan second. People want it to look like the way they read about it in the book, mm. the way they see it in the movies, more than anything. And the truth is, it used to look like what they imagined. It was Paul Bunyan surrounded by a huge park with a visitor center or, or a gazebo or a place where the big band played. Now, the, the city's grown up around Paul. And um, Paul initially... Um, unveiled on February 12th, 1959, uh, by a, uh, um, it was designed by a man named Martin. Um, and the initial Paul Bunyan today is about 31 feet tall, about, I think he is 31 yeah. feet tall. Yeah. And he's supposedly the tallest standing and most realistic looking Paul Bunyan among what, 20 Paul tall Paul Bunyan? <laughs> I know 16. I've heard 17. Okay. <laughs> Whatever, under 20. But the original proposal for that Paul was that he be a hundred feet tall and straddling Main Street. So Whoa. initially, Mr. Martin wanted people to drive through Paul's legs to get into town. And Bangor said, no. But uh, yes, that park did used to look the way that Steve describes it, which makes me love him so much because historically his information is so accurate. Yeah. He does the deep dive into the boy that died at the standpipe and what Paul Bunyan used to look like in 1959 and the old hospital. And the old hospital. Uh, you just like, if you're not from here, you're reading a great story. When you're from here, you're reading history. 
the way he describes the Falcon, uh, where Adrian Mellon is and his boyfriend are leaving. He's describing the tavern to a T. I, I just, I just, I kiss the man on the mouth and thank him for leaving nothing out. He's so, he's so good. He's so descriptive and he's so real and he's getting it all right. And I've gone off on a tangent. Sorry. No, I'm really glad you did. And, and you know what? I am so glad to know that, you know, I wasn't just romanticizing that nope. memory. I, I have one picture of, of my son who was like a year old in front of it, but everything else behind the picture is kind of blurred out. So, um, I, I was left with just my memory of it, but I'm really glad to know that, that, that it was sort of as I remembered it. It's uh, absolutely, he, he just leaves no stone unturned. And I read his books now. And whenever he goes into a deep dive or he's heavily descriptive in, in the history of anything, knowing how he's described Bangor, any other city he's describing, I know he's describing that city in the past because that's what he does. He's thorough and it's right. just wonderful. Do you guys have anything spooky planned for yourselves this Halloween? Well, we have the Halloween costume tour. How are we dressing up? We're not dressing up. <laughs> yes, we are. Jamie and I are dressing up as the Grady sisters from the show. Oh. oh, wow. See, it's a good idea. It's a great These idea. And, and Mary Jane shoes and the blue dress and the hair and everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's that's great. Like. Yeah, Jamie, of course. It's a natural. It's Grady to the max. No. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to go out as as Jack and Wendy. I mean, that would that wouldn't send good signals. Oh shoot, that would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> we have time. We have time. Yeah. We, we have, have time. time. I bought the costumes in June. We have them. It's done. It's yeah. done. Yeah, you can have you know, come out for a <laughs> tour, Danny, forever <laughs> and ever. There you go. Um, <laughs> So what's what's changed since I saw you guys last with SK Tours? What's what's been happening? Well, it's been a been a pretty crazy uh, spin of things, really. We uh, we've been running the business for twelve years out of our driveway, and our driveways have gotten too small. So last year we bought a property, and this year we opened uh, a location with a gift shop and a parking lot and home base. Yeah, can I? Permission to jump in? Go ahead, do it. A year ago, Jamie said, can we go into debt on this piece of shit building on Hammond Street? And I said, yep, babe, let's do it. Never thinking for a minute it would actually happen. Um, that's how that happened. Um, it's this, the building is, it's quite in trouble, but it sat on an acre of land. It's next to the airport. It's next to the interstate. And we could build a um, parking lot on it. And if, you know, you guys are in Canada, you know what these old homes look like. There's not a single square, 90-degree corner in the place. Right. So we said, you know, we have our lives to fix this building. Let's just set up a home base. And maybe we can have a little tiny shop on the first floor and sell a couple T-shirts. We've already outgrown the first floor. But yeah, Jamie said one day, let's, this is, this is a uh, overpriced, horrible, horrible property that I think we should buy. And I said, yeah, okay, let's do it. And before I knew it, we owned it. <laughs> wow. It happened so fast. That's well, I owned that property for months because uh, the building, little old lady, uh, wonderful lady lived in it longer than she probably should have. It was an old hair salon. Yeah, it was an old hair salon. They lived upstairs and cut hair downstairs. And the hair, the house hadn't been maintained as it should. So I ignored the property for months. But as I kept watching the real estate market just absolutely tank, uh, I realized that we weren't going to get a better location. And the, the, the land was enough so that we could build a good 20 spot parking lot. So we, we bought the, Basically, we bought the land, put a parking lot on it, and we got a building uh, out of it as well. And an old building is better than no building. And we, uh, we've got T-shirts and books and Easter eggs for people to look at. and Some movie props. And a lot, some movie props and uh, some memorabilia. And it's just a, a fun place to continue the, 
the king conversation as you go through the shop and see some stuff. It's it's just a lot of fun, and you can buy a T-shirt if you want. You know what, David and I can talk about um, some of the aspects of the tour uh, in a little bit. I don't want to keep you guys too long, but I did want to say you that. You have I, all night, my friend, don't you? Oh, worry. do you? Okay. Oh, yeah. well, I was going to say that uh, I really did love the uh, door-to-door delivery, uh, like the pickup and drop-off. We, we don't do that anymore either. Well, I appreciated being able to get that. That was incredible yeah. because we were, it was such, um, first of all, I have to say, like, you know, it's amazing that Christy wanted to, uh, accommodate me like to go off. It was our 30th anniversary and she was just starting to have some health issues. Um, unfortunately, but it was not an easy trip for her. So yeah. to be able to have that private tour and have you pick us up yeah. and drop us off. Cause as soon as you dropped us off, we were then on the road for like five hours. Yeah. Um, and since yeah. we didn't have a, since we didn't have a central location where we could meet everybody, uh, there was no place to pick people up. There was just nothing. So then we started going to the Airbnbs and picking people up for the private tours. Um, but now that we have the, the, the safe location for vehicles, uh, primarily we, uh, we meet everyone at the shop. We are still picking some people up at some hotels, uh, this year. Uh, and it, it is, it is a great service for people who are, in Bangor, right? We get yeah. requests like, "Hey, I'm in Ordo. Can you come pick me up?" And, oh, right. And, and that's no, like what no. half an hour or so, yeah, or, it's, or further. Well, well, once you start going back and forth and trying oh. to point for the tour, the logistics are a mess, right? <laughs> but yeah, it it was one thing my father started that uh, when he started the business, he started out of a single vehicle and picking people up where they were. Uh, really worked for him and it was a great way to great, give a little, you know, a little service to the customers. And, uh, it is, it is fun when we get to do that. Now, honestly, every aspect of the tour I loved. Um, but the, one of the highlights was Mount Hope Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we had a gorgeous day and, and, yeah. and now I know you worked the previous day when it dumped all day uh for for me I, it was just a matter of staying inside but i know you did a tour that day yeah. um so luckily we got the, the good weather the, the following day which was i think the 27th of october last year um i said you know that i felt as if i had been airlifted into the pet cemetery film and because you had your headset on um you and i were able to have feet on the ground and walk around while christy and evie could listen inside the van yeah which i thought was a great thing and christy said she really appreciated that too absolutely yeah and and that cemetery we could uh we could do a king related walking tour of that cemetery uh if we had the time to figure something out steve got she got names out of there more than i have the time or distance to show you Hmm. But that cemetery is fantastic. Yeah. So David, um, yeah. When when Pet Cemetery was made, King insisted that it be shot in Maine, um, and so the scenes. Um, uh, whose burial is it that King presides uh, over? The housekeeper's but, funeral. Oh right, right. Yeah, who has has the stomach issue? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So there was scenes shot in the cemetery. And it's great. Jamie actually goes through the motions of sort of like being king, giving the uh, the service. Um, it was it was great. And then you know you get to see the uh, the headstones of there's a Georgie headstone and there's a uh, was there what's it? There's a yeah. Carrie, wasn't there? There's a Carrie right. Yeah. The Carrie's there. Yeah. Um, and just being there, and you look around, and you realize like every shot that you see in that film is here, and you you sort of recognize every little vista. Um, and then, as I recall, I might be wrong, so Jamie, correct me if I am. Isn't it then like opposite the cemetery is the, uh, I don't know what that public works building is, but it's where um, Gray Matter? Was it not Gray Matter? Um, uh, uh, well, graveyard the public, the public works, Yes, Graveyard Shift. The public works and building. Catcher. Yeah, the public works building uh, between the building and the old hydroelectric dam building that's long and skinny and creepy and abandoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, underneath those are tunnels, and that's where they filmed the rats and graveyard shift. 
Uh, and then the final fight scene in Dreamcatcher between Dudas and Miss Gray was filmed in the Waterworks building there as well. Yeah. Um, and one of the locations that I didn't know was on the tour, but it was one that I found surprisingly moving, was the area that had inspired Bev Marsh's poverty-stricken neighborhood mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, A, because I didn't know it was coming, but when you took us down that little road, um, I just got chills because it, you know, I really felt like I'm going to see like Bevy from the Levee is going to come out. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, and it wasn't in a, it wasn't in a, I don't know, fanboy sort of way. It was in a sad way, you know, like I yeah, felt for this a, character. That's a sad, that uh, first, second and third street in Bangor have always been uh, really rough areas. When you're talking about the spot on first street and, uh, but, First, second, and third, Sanford really, Sanford down uh, on on that side of Main Street before the railroad tracks where Nebel Street would have been. Those those streets have always been uh, pretty sad places. Now, as not far from there, again, if I've got it right, um, we ended up at the uh, the Dunkin' Donuts where Tabby had once worked, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I don't know why, but it. it that wasn't actually part of the tour. We went there afterwards and we're like, wow, this is it. This is the place. And, and because it was Halloween, they had uh, like, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm infatuated with Dunkin' Donuts because <laughs> we, we, we don't have it. Right. So we have Tim, Tim Hortons. Hortons is yes. nice. I like Tim Hortons. Yeah. Mm. I like, the, I don't know. I like, I like the Dunkin' Donuts coffee better. I don't know what it is. And I actually like the donuts better. For over 60 years, we've kept America running with our dedication to serving the freshest cup of coffee. Dunkin' Donuts. America runs on Dunkin'. People are going to want to crucify me because a lot of Canadians (laughs) are like, you can't say anything negative about that. And it's it's an American company, right? Like, Anyway, um, I do like my Dunkin' Donuts. I do like being in the place where Tabby once worked. And I did like buying a little spider donut, which had... Uh, <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Dave, is there anything sort of off the top of your head that, that you can think of that you want to... Uh... Well, the only thing I was thinking of is it's one of the things that Bev was mentioning, and he, and he mentioned it in his book that we covered, that three-episode thing, was the idea that with how much Stephen King has written about sometimes there's contradictory stuff. So I don't know if you get into any of the things where you say, well, this is here, but it's also different in this other story. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we have to deal with that. First off, no one has done so much for a single town in terms of words on a page that people could do a tour on, you know, Anne Rice probably did it in new Orleans. Uh, but when it, when it comes to dairy, specifically over the years, uh, we were talking about it just the other, we were just talking about it today, as a matter of fact, with, um, uh, in, in the, the end of the book, it, the, the standpipe falls over and rolls down the hill. And in, and in Dreamcatcher, the, the standpipe's not there anymore. And there's a, there's a clap put up by the kids of the losers club. And, and then the conversation of, well, who is Mr. Gray in Dreamcatcher? And is he Bob Gray in it? And you start going through these rabbit holes of, of, uh, well, where is the contradiction and, mm. and what is true? But Steve has over the years answered certain interview questions three different ways over the years. And we have to decide which one resonates best with the tour and is the closest to what we believe. Um, you also got to keep in mind that while Stephen King was writing it, uh, there was drugs and alcohol involved, and and that would, in my opinion, probably impact some of his. Faculties. I disagree. Okay, all right, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I disagree. I think um, we want to take everything he writes in in eleven twenty two. 63 dream catch very literally. I want all the locations he describes to be completely accurate, but I think um, to describe a bunch of kids in dream catcher or it running around town or, you know, bicycling around on their bikes, things can't be 10 miles apart like they are in real life. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I think he's taken mm. Bangor and he's compressed it and he squished mm. it to make, you know, uh, to describe like I I'm reading, you know, we're listening to it right now. And he's talking about, I think it's Ben leaving the dairy public library and he's walking up Kansas street, which I believe is Ohio street. And just ahead, he can see the old Cape, which in real life is Cape art in real life. They're six miles apart. In Derry, it's a mile apart or less than that. Mm-hmm. I just think he has had to take Bangor and compress mm-hmm. it to make it. And, and he talks about how Bangor is a big city and Derry's this little town. I think he compresses it to make it, it, it uh, possible for young groups of kids to run and ride their bikes all over town yeah. and achieve great feats and defeat yeah. terrible creatures. And that's what I, that's how I choose to see it. Yeah. And like there's a conversation of, well, we can look at a map and go, well, this is Kansas Street and this is, is this Canal Street? Is this Main Street? Is this Lower Main Street? Is this we, Central? Is this Central Street? Where's Abbott Street? Where's well, Costello? And we, we do go down this rabbit we, hole of trying to. We want, find want, it. want everything to be literal because that would be mm. so cool for us mm, to right. live here. But he's a writer. He's a creator. He's yeah. an artist. He can yeah. take liberties. And Bev know? Vincent has, uh, when we were speaking with him, he was saying, you know, it's even harder when you get into um, Castle Rock. You know, he said he realized that you can't make a map of Castle Rock right. because yeah. of the ongoing consistency, inconsistencies. Yes. Yeah. And, and for me, I guess, uh, as a King nerd, I just want to use the excuse that, well, you know, as King says, you know, there are, there are more worlds than these. Yeah. And that, yeah. that, that there are thinnies where we get variations of the world, basically a multiverse. So, you know, so in this version of, of, uh, dairy, this happens in this version, something else happens, you know? Well, I was, um, we often, I often on my tour talk about how in 112263, Jake, uh, you know, goes down Kasut Street to try to, you know, save his friend, his janitor friend who's had a brain injury and he's going down Kasut Street and he runs into Bevan Ritchie from the Losers Club and they're listening to a mm. radio, listening to, you know, they're practicing their dance moves. So oh, that's right. Not only a great crossover mm. and Kasut Street is, I can see it from where I'm sitting right now, but as I was re-listening to the audio of the book It, I'm reminded that Adrian Mellon lived on Kasut Street. Wow. So I... When when I catch a hold of these things, I you know, I I'm like making notes. Got to talk about this on the next tour. I, I don't know. I, it's just it's such a gift. Yeah, that he's and I don't even think he knew what he was delivering mm-hmm. to this community when he was writing this mm-hmm. stuff. I think yeah. he was just writing a good story in a yeah. location they thought was pretty creepy anyway, and it, it just turned into a great big huge gigantic epic Christmas gift to us. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to say to it just that how uh, moved I was when, uh, you know, I saw all of the sort of the rainbow references uh, throughout Bangor when I was there. And um, David, you may not know this, but in the book, um, yeah, Adrian Mellon is killed and he's a a young gay teenager and it's, it's a, it's a homophobic hate crime. Yeah. And um, and you know what? I think it's the first time I ever encountered that as a reader or anything. Like it, it just wasn't um put out there in most films or books or whatever. Well, certainly not in nineteen eighty six. No. And I have to say, it really did uh open me up to you know acceptance um at that age because I read it, I was one of those stupid guys buying the book the day it came out you know even then even then i was waiting to come on open the box i want the book um anyway um so it it was powerful to see how his fiction had um seemed to affect the reality of of bangor and speaking of that um i i thought maybe you guys I, i know on the tour jamie you did an excellent job of talking about king's uh philanthropy um and his sort of giving back to bangor um i I don't know if you can sort of encapsulate some of that for folks who don't realize how much king has given back well we were jen and i were at a charity dinner with the kings a, a few months ago where they 
they did a charity dinner where they were the keynote speakers for the Maine Library Association's annual convention. And uh, they filled a convent. They, they, they filled a hall. It was a dinner for librarians and people who wanted to donate and be there as well. And Stephen Tabby spent a good hour, hour and a half talking about the King Foundation, which is very rare. The Kings feel that charity should be done in secret. Uh, and it's, it's very, very hard. I mean, we saw, uh, we saw a staff of the King Foundation, Stephen and Tabitha King Foundation a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't dare ask a question about the foundation because they're so tight lipped about all the good they've done. But the Kings, in, in my estimation, have been donating between three and maybe five or six million dollars a year to things in Maine every year for over 40 years. Uh, and, when Tabby, if, if you ever find it, by the way, go go to Bev Vincent's uh, Twitter page, uh, Twitter account, or uh, uh, I think that's it. Or you'll find it on the uh, Schemers Facebook page. He Bev Vincent put up a link of the audio of that charity dinner speech, and and it was chat, and it was fantastic about talking about the origins of the foundation, what their original plans were, and 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 just some of the things they've done. I don't think anyone will ever understand how much they've given to the state of Maine, uh, but they save more libraries than most of us have probably ever been in. Uh, they, it's hard to go through a specifically on our side, the west side of town, and not see something the Kings have contributed to. Wow, the the, the together place the. Uh, the Penobscot Theater Company, the Panko Pool, the Mansfield Stadium, the uh, two different hospitals in the city. Uh, It's absolutely mind-boggling how much they've done that we don't know about. They donated $3 million to Acadia Hospital Mm -hmm. in the last year. And if you didn't read the article in the newspaper that was this big, you didn't know what happened. They're just... It's not about cloud. It's about community and giving mm-hmm. back and and i don't know if you remember the story i mean god you do this so often but you, you i remember you saying that um there was an issue with the library and accessibility yeah. and oh, yeah. and and basically didn't somebody say with town council or something like uh well if if he wants to fix it he can do it himself or something like this <laughs> or what was well, yeah. how did that uh, play out yeah uh, well the way that played out was um they uh the the original goal was to, to raise six thousand dollars in three months, and they they'd be able to fix the stairs, and any money left over the library could have to buy like paper clips and you know pencils because the the library's budget comes from the city, and they would have to put in a request in writing to get the money to buy the staples. But uh, the theory was that if they raised at least twelve thousand. That nine thousand would go to fix the stairs, front stairs, the front stairs, stairs, the front stairs that had heaved up in a frost heave, and the rest of it would go for staples and pencils and office supplies. Um, The kings, uh, when the kings do a a thing for a community, they don't just hand out money. They're not in the handout business. It's not fair because everyone would have a handout, right? You have to raise your half first, and the kings will give a matching grant. The kings like paying. They like to contributing half or a third of the total money, not all the money to a thing. And so they wanted to raise, uh, you know, six grand. And that would have been, you know, more than enough. But the kings help you raise your half. And they, they gave the library radio time and TV time. And they uh, they helped publish a book called Seven Books in a Footlocker. And uh, they did, you know, they did a public, Steve did a public reading at the auditorium. And when it was all said and done, they raised about uh, $3.6 million. Wow. And now the Kings matched that. And instead of just fixing the stairs, they built uh, a new wing that doubled right. the size of the library and made the entire library handicapped accessible for the first time in history. Yeah, right, right, at, right, at, yeah. right at ground level there. I noticed that yeah, when, yeah. when I was doing my walk around, how you could see the new wing is yeah. easily uh, accessible uh, and c- because that was, it's quite a uh, monumental set of stairs there <laughs> going yeah. into the yeah. library. I remember going up those and, and uh, 
You know, it's good. There's a <clears throat> cafe in there. There's an elevator in there. They open the stacks. Later, they put in a fully electronic filing system, which is like Star Trek to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just amazing in there. Yeah. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous library. Bangor does not even understand mm. what a state-of-the-art, beautiful library they have. Uh, how far in advance do you have to book a uh, tour? Oh, good question. Uh, that's a good question. This looks like an ad now. Uh, <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I recommend looking about a month in advance. Uh, What's your favorite book or movie? That's the best question. <laughs> oh, you want me to bounce that back to you? It's yeah, funny. we want to know your favorite book or movie. Oh, okay, um, book or movie. I okay. I heard actually Jamie answer this recently. I like the way he kind of broke it down into different categories. Um, well, okay, book or movie. I almost do it by decades because mm. there's so many. Oh, but yeah. but in the 21st century, eleven twenty two sixty three does blow me away. Like oh, I yeah. love that book. I'm um, stupidly the hair on my arm is 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 actually like raising now just at the mention of eleven twenty two sixty three and Sadie. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Well, you know those early ones too, like the the formative ones. Like uh, like I mean, it. How do you not like? I think the stand. It, The Shining. Um, I loved the short stories. Like he was in many ways my conduit to to novels, but I started with his short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love um, I love uh, Night Shift and Monkeys. Uh, oh my God, I almost called it Monkeys Paw. What am I? What's it called? <laughs> Skeleton Crew. Skeleton Crew. Because of the cover, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. Skeleton Crew. Um, those two are probably my favorite, but. Um, I still find night shift like it's it's just because I guess it's a collection from a uh, bit of a longer period from when he was very young. Um, it's great how sort of diverse the stories are. You know, some are just sci-fi, some are different forms of horror. Um, yeah, trying to, and actually, I really quite like Doctor Sleep in the past bunch of years and Holly, I just finished Holly and, <laughs> and I mean, Holly Gibney is one of my favorite characters. Okay. You guys have done a bad thing by starting me down this thing, but yeah, I love Holly Gibney. So I love all of the Mr. Mercedes stuff um, and any of the Holly books. So I was, I was really happy to get at least one more Holly book. Now, if I can only get the third talisman book, I will be a very happy man. Well, he does. He did say that he's working on it. Is he going solo? Because I was thinking that would be cool you if know, he did it with I, Joe Hill. I, I heard I I'm under the impression the discussion was that he would go solo, and I hope he doesn't. Uh, he did it with Peter Straub. We've lost Peter Straub, but there are two other really talented writers very close to him, <laughs> Joe and Owen. And I would love it if he went with, in my opinion, Owen. Uh, Owen writes fantasy stuff. So does Joe. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah. I think honestly, we heard Joe read uh, from King Sorrow, the yeah. next book coming out, and that was hilarious. That sounds that good. That was awesome. That sounds good. I honestly hope he doesn't go solo. I hope he grabs one of the kids and and tries to maybe not recreate the same magic, but not go it all by himself. Because that's, I think, part of yeah. the talisman of yeah. the house. That's the spirit. That, that 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 worked was that they were they were doing it together and i honestly hope he brings one or both of the kids in and and tries to create this collaborative thing to 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 bring that trilogy together and uh, yeah i've i've loved the talisman since the day i picked it up and i would love to see a third book in that that series that's great, guys. Um, again, thanks for your time. I think we now know that we need to revisit, have a, another yep. episode with you at some point. <laughs> yep. So, uh, any, 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 any time. And we need, we're going to need pictures of you guys in your uh, Grady twins outfits as well. No, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I am so excited. <laughs> it's a good idea. It's a good idea. Guys, have a great night. Have a good night. And Take I'll care, people. Thanks, Thank thanks so much. much. We appreciate oh. it. Now, that's the end of our Halloween special SK Tours episode. Remember to catch us on all of our spooky socials. <laughs>
<laughs> you can uh, check out uh, any, well, your favorite podcast provider. Spotify might be one of them. Uh, please check out the website, 2of.ca. And of course, as always, that's a numeric two, just a number two. Friendly number two, Ian Turnbull. You might remember him. Um, And um, Facebook is sort of one of our places that we favor. Uh, On Facebook, please check out Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. No numbers there, all words. Um, And, uh, yeah, we'll be posting lots of pictures as we uh, have with our uh, part one of our Superman, which I hope you have enjoyed. and uh yeah it's uh it's the, it's the most wonderful time of the year halloween david yep it's uh the time that we all look forward to yep so do please uh if you're checking out those socials uh tell a friend like and subscribe uh don't be too stabby this time of year um and don't eat too much of your candy all at once you know spread it out make it last I am David Clink. And I am Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi. That was fun, eh? That was really good. <laughs>